previously on the Simply Human Podcast. I always floss first because you get all that gunk out and then you brush it. Like brushing and then flossing to me, like sometimes that stuff stanks. It's episode 184 of the Simply Human Podcast with your hosts, Mark and Rick. Two human beings being human. Our goal is to help you understand how humans are designed to eat, sleep, move, and enjoy. Now you can start living more like a human today. On today's show, it's Brendan Lundberg, and we're going to talk all about him because we do the intro. We've already recorded the episode. You had some computer issues, and we just called him directly. I just keep ta- like calling me out for my computer issues. Like, I am uh, Bill Gates over here. Like, it's my fault. I turn the thing on, it says it's uh, automatically updating zero uh, percent. Uh, this may take a while. Zero point zero one percent, like one hour later. Uh, yeah. I hate that. Uh, but he is a he's a pain he's a pain specialist. Uh, it's and it's a pretty interesting conversation. We talk a lot about the psychology of pain. And Rick is a pain in the butt. Oh, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> I have a I have what I think is a funny story. About okay. how I scared myself almost to pooping my pants. Okay. Well then. All right. Are you familiar with the movie that is out currently in theaters called Probably. The Nun? I am not because uh, all the television shows I watch are on DVR, so I fast forward past all the commercials all the time, so I have no idea what's in movie theaters. Now. You idiot. So there's this movie. It's part of the Conjuring series. There was Conjuring. There was Conjuring 2. There was Annabelle, the doll movie. Hmm. <sighs> anyway, nope. listeners will know The Nun because it's a, it's a, like the Conjuring is one of like the highest grossing like horror um, uh, series of all time. And it's great. So there's a scary nun and she's a demon nun. Okay. And I went and saw it, you know, uh, Simply Human Zone, Dylan, and some other guys. We have, like, the scary movie. Uh, Simply Human Zone, Chris Brandon uh, is part of this. And anytime there's, like, a like Get Out, uh, A Quiet Place, any of these, like, scary movies that come out, we always go, like, opening night and see the movie, like, together. And we scare ourselves, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. in the midst of all this, all this. Stephen King, has, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, he has uh, he he wrote a sequel to The Shining about four years ago called Doctor Sleep. You may not be familiar with this. I am not at all. They're, not even in the remotest. well. There's a you you're familiar with the Jack Nicholson movie The Shining, Stanley Kubrick. Movie. I am familier with it. I have never seen never seen it. it. Okay, well it's not it, it it's very different than the book. I mean like the the ideas are the same. It doesn't end at all like the book ends, and the movie deviates quite a bit from the book. So the book is a different experience. And I read it when I, I was like in high school. In high school. So I, I wanted to reread it, listen to it, and then and so I could so I could read Doctor Sleep, listen to Doctor Sleep, and then I could watch the movie, which is coming out like sometime maybe next year or something. So I'm listening to The Shining, which is like a, a horrifically scary novel, and then I'm like I'm like literally listening to The Shining as I pull up to the Nun movie, okay? And this is like at ten o'clock at night last week. I go sit and I watch this horrifyingly demon like none movie <laughs> and then I'm driving home and I'm okay so before and I drive home and I'm listening to the shining but before I drive home we were laughing in the parking lot about the soundtrack because every time you see the nun every time she's like coming forward to the scene it was this like very low 
like like note note, and it sounded like this. Did you hear? Could you hear that? <laughs> yeah. What were you doing? That was just me and another guy that went and saw it, just going. Oh. Because like anytime she like pops up, that's like this noise, and it's like terrifying. <laughs> So we like did this like thing, and I sent that audio file, the one I just played for you, to like everyone that went to the movie, like on my way home, and we were like, ha ha ha, this is ha ha funny, right? So I get home and it's like midnight, and I've been listening to The Shining on the way home. So I'm in like this uh, skittish. What's the word? I'm just, I'm I'm on edge. Okay. Yeah, there you go. And I'm walking through my pitch black garage, which had the rattlesnake in it. So I'm already, you know, then there's the rat. I'm like, I'm like looking for rattlesnakes, and I'm like on edge. And somehow my phone never locked on that text thread with that file. And I'm walking through my garage, and that file played in my pocket, like without me touching it. And I almost died. I like I just I went I wish I had a video of what I did. I thought I was going to die. Like if there had like it's a wonder I didn't trip on something and like shatter my skull on the concrete and die. Like no one would have known I was out there. Have we ter- told the story on the show of how you and I watched The Ring? Surely well, we have, I think right? So and then you was it you or who called with the phone thing? Was it wasn't me. We were both there and uh, we were both very freaked out. This is the horror movie where, like, uh, if your phone Mark, rings. Mark, Mark lived like in this 200 square foot, like, uh, <laughs> man, out. I can't believe like we watched the ring in that little house together. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just me and Mark, and uh, we watched this whole movie. And the, I guess the premise is a premise of it is you watch this tape, and then like 30 seconds after, and it's like white noise. It's like. <laughs> And then it guts off, and then your phone rings, and then you die. Yeah, your phone rings. Well, like ten seconds after we were done watching the show, and it was late. Wasn't yeah, it? it was real late. It was like one in the morning, so yeah. we were like, oh, it's, nothing, "It's not that big of a deal." My cell phone rings, and we were both like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> oh, scary movies. I love scary movies. <laughs> Anyway, so I finished The Shining, and I've I've started Doctor Sleep, and it's great. I love Stephen King; he's so greatness. Um, so that's really that was my story. It's a good story. That's a, that's a, that's all I, oh, Cowboys lost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure did. Speaking of horror stories. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, okay. Let's get to our interview with Brendan Lundberg. This is going to be fun. You're going to like this. Brendan. Brandon. Brendan. 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 Can you see me? Well, we're, we do, we'll do audio only. Okay. If that's okay. It's sometimes the audio the audio quality is a little bit better. Uh, Brendan. I don't want to see the video of me right now. I'm just uh, laying in bed, uh, shirtless, with my glasses on. So. <laughs> <laughs> With potato chips uh, like crumbled all over your chest. <laughs> how do I how do I turn myself off here? Let's see. Um, I think I did. There it. you go. 
Yeah. yeah. Cool. cool. Well, we did not do your intro in the intro because Rick's problems have been uh, ongoing and we just now connected. So I'm very quickly going to say the intro very quick. With a vision to build the safest, most consistently effective and appealing solution to the epidemic of chronic pain, Brendan Lundberg co-founded Radiant Pain Relief Centers and it's spelled C-E-N-T-R-E-S, which leads me to believe that you are not from like Houston. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm from the equivalent of Houston, oh. Phoenix. Oh, uh, <laughs> I just thought it was kind of like, like. Are you getting, you getting that echo? echo? Yes, I am. I got two mic situations going on, so let me see if I can fix this. Okay, if this is better. Is that better? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, I ditched Blue Yeti for just my Apple. I will say that with that spelling, I was thinking maybe like you were from England or something. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's fancy. I like fancy, and uh, you know, it's an homage to the Italian inventor who uh, created the technology that's central to our business. There you go. So, if you could give us kind of the uh, Cliff's Notes version of Brendan, how do? You, oh, wait, well, Rick, do we want to do the birthdays? Let's let's let him intro himself first. Okay, uh, and then we're gonna guess your birthday. Um, so, give us the Cliff Notes version of how you got to where you are now. Well, I have spent my career in healthcare. I kind of grew up in that a little bit too. My dad was the, uh, you know, in hospital administration, and uncle that was a chiropractor, and kind of surrounded by healthcare um, most of my life. Audio still bugging out. It's like it's like hit and miss. Like when you said bugging out, it was fine, but then it was just like two words that echoed before that. Weird. Okay. Well, let me know if it's all right. Okay. We'll just power through it. Okay, sounds good. Uh, anyway, uh, after finishing my MBA, first job uh, was working in healthcare marketing and I spent my career related to healthcare business. I'm not a clinician, but um, my partner is a physician. And I just saw an opportunity with this technology, um, which kind of was a culmination of all the things I've done in my career, um, you know, kind of different types of business related to healthcare and progressive kind of delivery of healthcare. And um, saw an opportunity to build uh, a new business around technology that allowed us to, allows us to treat chronic pain without drugs, needle surgery, or side effects. So, did your uh, family? Did you say your dad was in hospital administration, and you had an uncle that was a chiropractor? Uncle that was a chiropractor. Other family that was in orthopedic, you know, devices and sales, and you know, grew up kind of around doctors. And well, you did know, your? We had to, go ahead. I was going to say, did your dad and your chiropractic chiropractor uncle like always fight? About this is medicine. No, this is medicine. No, you're a quack. No, you're a quack. Well, ir- ironically, my dad now is a vice president at the Oriental Medicine College here in Portland, oh, really? Oregon, where I live. Also, so, yeah. So he's he's had a pretty open mind about things, I think. But but I definitely was, uh, I think, a little bit um, aware of that dichotomy at a right. young age, for sure. Yeah, I have I have a friend who's a chiropractor and some other friends who are, you know, in the more like kind of traditional and it's always kind of funny there. You can kind of tell there's just kind of this under like an unsaid underlying tone of <laughs> yeah, whatever. You over there yeah. with your stuff. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of well, funny. Well, 
You know, here in Portland, we have kind of a progressive approach to care because we have a traditional allopathic medicine clinic. We have a naturopathic medical school. I mean, not clinic, but uh, but medical school. We have a uh, naturopathic school, a chiropractic school, and an oriental medicine college. So we see pretty progressive blending of healthcare here in Portland, but that's definitely still not the case in many places across the country. Right. Yeah, like I'm in Abilene, and we do not have – well, you know what? I take that back. There is an anesthesiologist here in town who opened like yeah, – he does – like nothing but pain management. And so is that is that kind of the same thing or is that like uh is that different? Like if an anesthesiologist is doing pain management, is that different from what you guys are doing? It's yeah, it's very different. Okay. It's very different. But first of all, I can I can uh, relate a little bit to Abilene. I, I lived for a couple of years in Midland when I was a no kid. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my dad <laughs> actually, actually ran a drug <laughs> rehab hospital, hospital there. there. And it was and in it was the, the mid 80s. So George Bush Sr. was vice president, and yeah. um, W. had just gotten clean and sober, and so he came to Portland a few times and gave talks there at the hospital. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, um, I was just in Midland uh, on Friday night for a football game. How about that? And yeah, Good Midland, for you. home of uh, uh, George W. Bush. Yeah, it was the, Mid- the Lee Rebels played Abilene High, and so I went out and, uh, and watched Abilene High beat the Lee Rebels at the last second, but man, yeah, Permian had some like uh, some crazy teams like back when you were there. Uh, the sure. Friday Night Lights uh, yeah. was all kind of in that era, uh, and yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of fun. You get some West how, Texas football exposure. How different my life might have been had I stayed there through high school. Yeah, you'd have, you'd still been playing have, in the NFL if you had stayed. Would, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'd be rich and famous. And what Rick's uh, about to say feet, uh, is that you could have thrown a football over the mountains. I think is what Rick was about to say. I was actually <laughs> thinking about throwing the football over the mountains. So yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but but to answer your question, yeah, very different. In fact, um, you know, most anesthesia, most medical doctors. Um, well, actually, almost all clinicians are trained in old science of pain, something called the gate control theory of pain. And, and most physicians, most medical doctors are trained in biochemistry. And so they look at, at therapies related to um, pain management from primarily a biochemical drug intervention approach or a physical intervention approach. And the gamut of alternative care is, you know, often doesn't know the most recent neuroscience of pain, which is all about the brain either. And so what we're doing at Radiant is building a whole new kind of completely disruptive and different approach around the more recent science. And we're doing it out kind of outside of the confines of traditional healthcare, which allows us to um, not be reliant or dependent or subjected to the same kind of economic operating and educational drivers that impact them. Um, We can think differently and build differently. And that's what we try to do. Brennan, let me let me call you back. Um, this is that echo is getting really bad. So let everybody just stand by, and I'm gonna hang up and then call everybody back. Hello, Rick. Rick, I'm here. Brendan, I'm here. Ah, echoing man, what is the deal? Yeah, I mean, it's like hitting. It's like it's like it'll do it for just a second, and then it'll stop, and then it'll. And I don't I don't know if it's coming through on the recording or not. Um, hopefully it's not. I can't I can't hear it at all. It sounds fine to me. Yeah. But. So sometimes that's what the what the uh, audacity picks up is like what rick hears so hopefully there's it's not going to be too distracting if it is happening on the thing anyway okay so let's talk about yeah let's talk about i know you've got a lot of stuff like there's like this crowdfunding of chronic pain neuroscience and chronic pain like what kind of just define like what obviously chronic 
is a word that we all know, and pain is a word that everyone's familiar with. But when when those two are combined, chronic pain, kind of what? Give us some examples. Like what what like falls under that umbrella of chronic pain and things that you're dealing with on a regular basis. Well, I think it's important to understand that pain in its natural form is a protective function. Like if you have an injury or you put your hand on the hot stove or sprain an ankle or break a bone, that pain experience is a protective function. It's saying, hey, stop doing what you're doing, uh, avoid doing this, learn from this, and you know, let your body heal. And that pain will persist until the body is healed and normalized, maybe even if there's a medical uh, intervention necessary. But it's serving that protective function. But in chronic pain, which we define as pain that's been present longer than is appropriate, which is typically three to six months or longer, or any pain that's growing disproportionately uncomfortable from the cause, or in some cases no clear cause, then it's, uh, it's a problem. It's not really serving a protective function. It's just a nuisance. And that, that pain experience actually is well, all pain comes from the brain. So it's, it's, a, it's a brain-derived experience, not a tissue-derived experience. And what happens in chronic pain is that the, the brain is perpetuating this pain phenomenon and the tissues are actually reacting to that expectation. So it's not really, in, in most cases in chronic pain, not really a problem of the tissue anymore, yet most of the therapies just address the tissue or they're a drug that has an impact you know, to the entire chemistry of the body resulting in side effects and risks. Right. So examples can be just chronic back pain, arthritis, um, you know, herniated disc. And these are all kind of, those are all of tissue-related trauma. But when we understand the neuroscience of pain and looked at some of the more recent studies around this, it's pretty crazy that a high percentage of people that have no symptom, you know, you can go to Central Park in New York City and image like a thousand people, a high percentage of them will show that they have arthritis or a herniated disc or a torn meniscus, but they don't know it because they don't have pain. They don't have symptomology. Really. Oh. But, and conversely, you could take a thousand pain sufferers, image them under you know, MRI or x-ray or both and look at the tissue and you won't find pathology that would warrant a pain experience that they're reporting. So there's actually a disconnect really between um, chronic pain particularly and tissue. That's interesting. Yeah, Rick always growing up would always like, he's like, my knee is always, my knee hurts, my knee is hurting and there was nothing ever wrong with his knee. He's just a complainer. Um, it's, like making that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. However, when Rick kicked me in, uh, from behind in between my legs, uh, <laughs> that uh, was not... That got your a, attention. That was not a phantom pain. That was acute, <laughs> acute, severe pain. Um, okay, so I read a book once, and uh, this this like idea was presented, and, and tell me if this is true or not. If I get stung by like a, a little ant, like a, something very poisonous, like a tiny thing, and it hurts like a son of a gun. Like it's it's like how did that hurt so bad? Versus yeah. if I like chop my whole hand off, like like that is actually like like neurologically or or I guess yeah is gonna the, the chopping of the hand off is actually gonna hurt less because your body your brain clearly knows that there's a problem. I mean it's so severe that it's like okay the alert is there my hand is off. Versus like some tiny little prick of a poison arrow or something that you may not even notice but your body needs to like be alerted that hey this is a problem we need to fix this is that is there some truth in that am i making sense no i think you're i mean i think it's it's true but i don't i mean i i think we get into like the neurotoxins and why a little ant like it as bad as it does right um but i think the the more important thing is to understand that that again all pain actually comes from the brain not from the tissue even though we don't experience it that way you know if we think back you know, to our caveman days, we can imagine them 
um, getting stabbed by the tusk of a woolly mammoth or a saber-toothed tiger or something, or you know, breaking a, a bone out on the hunt, and and then feeling the pain, and then realizing, oh, I hurt. So if I take a drug, like or if drink alcohol or take opium, then I can feel better at least in the short term. And so that's kind of how we've approached managing pain is kind of this analgesic approach through biochemical means like that. But but the the pain phenomenon going back to the woolly mammoth or this or the saber toothed tiger or a broken bone skin is a protective function in the short term. But the brain is basically the nervous system and I don't mean brain like the cognitive brain like we're willing this to happen. It's it's a deep kind of reptilian ancestral, you know, limbic brain, a combination of all those things. And then we process it in our more modern frontal cortex, you know, cognitive brain. But it records all of these events in an effort to keep us safe. You know, the nervous system's primary job is to keep us alive, which right. means keep us upright and keep us mobile in our environment. And so anything that is that the nervous system has perceived as a threat to our ability to stay alive, including an ant bite, it's going to create this pain phenomenon so that we learn from that. And we, not, we may not cognit, you know, consciously or cognitively remember those things, but the nervous system records them. And what happens in chronic pain, for some reason, in the book that I just put out called Radiant Relief, A Case for a Better Solution to Chronic Pain, I make the analogy that it's not really a one-to-one cause and effect relationship. It's really kind of like credit card debt. And if you have a credit card and you make routine charges to that credit card, but you're paying your bank every month, everybody's cool. But if there's an event that's kind of like the tipping point, and all of a sudden you're at or you exceed your credit card limit, now it's kind of a real serious situation, right? And so the nervous system is kind of the same way. It aggregates all these threat experiences, kind of like charges to an account. And if, if the body isn't processing those out for whatever reason, then a minor injury, a minor event can all of a sudden cause the body to react in an inappropriate way and cause this pain phenomenon to grow, again, disproportionate to the cause and stick around longer, longer than the cause. So how does, how does, well, like pain tolerance, you know, you hear about pain tolerance all the time. Like, sure. Uh, like, you know, like my wife watching her, like, uh, having three children and then yeah. I'm, and I'm thinking like, you know, the, the most pain that I felt during that experience was I was kind of cold in the, in the delivery room. I was like, is it, can we turn the heat in here? I'm very, I'm a little hungry. Uh, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very, I'm very uncomfortable uh, in here. Is there. So, it, like, so how does that work uh, for different people? Is it true that some people can just like just handle uh, so much more pain, and then other people like can't? And is that is that something that can yeah. be can be taught? Uh, can you go from a low, being a low to- pain tolerance person to being a very high pain tolerance person? Uh, uh, well, that's a good question. I believe you probably can, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there, I mean, there, if you think of it like the credit card debt analogy. Certain people have higher th- debt limits, right? Their body can absorb more uh, than other people. And, th- and that's a product of genetics. That's a product of cultural upbringing. Uh, I mean, you know, just a, you know, I guess playing to the stereotypes, if you think of like a big, tough Russian person versus maybe a, more of a petite, you know, Canadian. somebody. I, don't know, <laughs> Canadian. I was just in Toronto. I love Canadians. I can't talk about them, but maybe that's true. But yeah, yeah I mean, you get the movie, like, like if you if you come from an upbringing or an environment, environment, you just approach that experience differently. And so pain, the the most recent science is called the threat neural matrix. Essentially, in that neural matrix is a complicated uh, experience of culture, you know, work environment, upbringing, you know, exposure, and a, a combination of our threats that our system is aggregated. So it certainly is a very um, multifaceted thing. And there are even 
genetic disorders in which families, um, you know, typically a familial, a familial lineage type of thing, that they don't feel pain. And those people don't live very long because they don't have that protective huh. mechanism working at all. God, that's there's interesting. An, yeah, yeah those people are dead. There's a Italian family right now that's kind of been in the news a little bit recently about that. Yeah, well, that makes sense from like an evolutionary perspective. Like if you can't feel pain, like you're not going to live very long to pass your genes along because yeah. you're going to be walking around, look down, and your leg's going to be off and you're going to be bleeding. It's like, well, that oh, I'm dead. And, uh, absolutely, yeah. 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 Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that happens all the time. I mean, these guys report, you know, like at age 16 that they've had like, you know, 20 different broken bones that they didn't know about. You know? Man, that is crazy. Um, oh, man, there was something that got that derailed me for there for a second. With the... Well, it, I'll go back to the question about um, can it be learned? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there, there, there's definitely schools of thought that say that understand that pain is a product of the brain and that through mindfulness and meditation that you can shift that reality. And it, I believe it 100%. The, the fortunate thing that we have in our business and in our therapy and why we think it's so exciting and, and has the ability to really shift this pain problem is that we use technology to give the brain new information and essentially restore the brain back to a more normal perception of pain by uh, giving it this information, which it interprets as natural pain signals and through neuroplasticity, the brain learns it and retains it. Huh. Um, but but anything that the brain learns and changes, and again, you can do that through meditation. You can do that through, um, you know, positive psychology. And those are things that I really believe in. And actually, we we bake them into our our care model. But um, but it, you tell a pain, a, you know, a really uncomfortable pain sufferer, it's all in your head. Just meditate through it. They're going to you tell know, you you're crazy. Yeah. 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 It's, and saying sit in the fire and pretend like it doesn't hurt. You right. know, it just doesn't really work that well. Right. Well, yeah, so I want to talk more about the meditation mindfulness stuff, but like going back to kind of that nature versus nurture thing in, in the pain tolerance, it's like, you know, like my dad growing up would like see a wasp and would, would like, pan, like panic. He would mm-hmm. like freak out. So like that, me seeing that growing up, like, like okay, adult an adult man, it's big. He was a big six five, huge guy, and he's he's like terrified of wasps. So to me, it's like okay, that I need to be terrified of wasps because obviously it's like something really bad happens when you get stung by a wasp. So like I grew up and like I went, I remember going off to college or whatever. Like I'm living, and there's a wasp, and I'm like everybody run as a wasp, and I'm like running through the house and like you know it's like you get stung by a wasp and it like hurts for like a second, and you're like well that that was it. Like that, you know, so it's like, like, I think like the kind of the pain thing, it's like if you sub your toe and you see the person sub their toe and they do this big thing and they got this whole thing. But, uh, but if you like grew up with somebody that like subs their toe and they're just like, oh man, that, that kind of smarted a little bit. So it's like, there's this kind of psychological piece to that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And what happens in chronic pain, you know, again, if you go back to the credit card analogy, I think this is a good way to understand it. So, so everything's fine. And, you know, let's say you have a $3,000 limit on your credit card and you racked up enough charges just through routine, you know, events that you have about a $1,500 uh, credit balance on there. You have $1,500 of accrued credit charges. Then all of a sudden your car breaks down and you have a $1,700 car repair bill for a new transmission. So metaphorically, that's a painful experience. And and it's even more painful if you are relying upon that credit card to buy food for your family because you don't get paid for another week and a half, right? right. The impact, the circumstances around that can augment that, that experience and make it even more painful. And we think of it, well, it's because of this thing, car repair bill that I have to that limit. And yes, that was the tipping point, but it was really an accumulation of all these events prior, right? Huh. 
which could also mean like inflammation in your body, stress, cord- like uh, all totally. that kind of stuff is what. Oh, yeah. And then you, yeah, and then you like, you know, yeah, like jam your finger, uh, and then it's like this kind of this. I know that's a terrible example, like jamming your finger, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like all I, it's like all I come up with. But okay, so for the, the meditation mindfulness stuff, so I I'm doing, you know, I'm very interested in all of that, um, and and how me- meditation mindfulness. Uh, can really kind of you know there's a lot of physical benefits to it and one of these things that keeps popping up like if you got Google alert for you know mindfulness there's like pain like chronic pain sufferers and I'm and I've always seen that and it's like okay cool and so if I give a talk on mindfulness I'm like it will reduce pain but it's like yeah. I've never really like understood like how it reduces pain like so how what is that well again um, pain is a product of the brain so if you can change the per- the, the state of the brain in any way. I mean, that's why drugs work too, because you're changing the chemistry of the brain. Right. And, and, uh, so if you can, if you can alter your, your state, if you can change, you know, the, the state in which your, your body and brain is perceiving, then you can really literally change the experience that your body's having in any given moment. I mean, there's yoga, for example, types of yoga that teach you how to change the temperature of your body. Like you can be laying there, in a shavasana pose, like on your back, essentially like you're taking a nap. But through these guided meditations, you can say, okay, I want my legs to feel cold. I want my legs to feel hot. I want my, I want to be able to feel, you know, the, the tip of my left pinky toe and just pay attention to that. So, you know, we get disconnected from these things because we don't really think of them that way. But, uh, you know, a skilled, mindful person probably can significantly shift their pain or any other state that they may be experiencing in their body for sure. Is is awake is like is this something that could like help start you to get into that process? Like I know during mindfulness meditation, like I there's this one uh uh deal that I read. It's like if your nose itches or you're you have an itch on your body somewhere, to don't scratch it immediately. Just like notice it and like and just kind of ex- like try to describe what it feels like like in your brain. Like just like it just like don't and it'll eventually go away so is it yeah is it is it kind of that sort of thing where you're kind of noticing the pain and like dealing with it that way yeah well i mean our therapy again is primarily around this technology that lets us give the brain new information through artificial nerve impulses via electrodes on the skin that's obviously non-invasive that way um but but we do couple that with education about the fact that all the pain is derived from your brain. And so by understanding when you have a moment in which the pain is beginning to flare, recognize it, don't necessarily dwell on it. And then if there, if you have tools to shift that, you can shift yourself out of that state for sure. I was actually getting acupuncture earlier today, laying there with needles in my hands and in my feet and um, had an itch on my nose and did the exact same thing that you're just talking about. And, huh. Yeah. I was able to let the itch, you know, recognize it. I wanted to scratch it, but I didn't want to move and, you know, ram the needle further into my hand in a weird place or something. So, so Rick has <laughs> Rick has a, a strategy. If he feels pain, like you know, yeah. like within his body, his his mindfulness practices to tip his head back, open his mouth, and just pour Jameson down his throat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, see, so that works. I mean, that right. works, right? And that's what our cave ancestors do, and that's what all of us do in some way. Is like mask the pain. Yeah. Uh, the drug or with the alcohol and it, it helps in the short term but it's about the same as credit card debt like if you're under you know a ton of credit card debt and you drink you know a six-pack you're gonna not care about the credit card debt in that right. moment but it isn't really resolving the problem right yeah like if you hate yourself you know like well i'm just gonna drink these six beers and then i've stopped knowing what i'm 
stupid idiot I am. <laughs> right. Don't do but that. But that's, that's the problem that we that we have in this country is that we've been, been given these drugs that mask the problem. Right. People become tolerant to them. Their body chemistry changes. Their brains change. The pain grows under the surface, and they become you know more and more dependent. More you know the pain is growing, and so. We have this opioid addiction epidemic versus addressing and understanding the true nature of pain and being able to shift into healthier ways through art therapy or through meditation or through movement or through positive psychology or through lots of other things that can be effective. And, you know, we just think that we're kind of uniquely positioned to be able to scale a therapy on a global, you yeah. know, national global level because it's technology based and it's very replicable. Well, and there's no, uh, there's, there's no money in, uh, and just dealing with it yourself, you know, uh, it, like the, the, the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, an example we use, I, and I've never used pain or, or, as, or emotions as, as an example, but I always use like the, the heartburn example. Like I've got heartburn, so what am I going to do? I'm going to take, is it Prevacid? What is the heartburn one? Is that the uh, Prilosec? Maybe it's Prilosec. Prilosec. So I'm going to take Prilosec to mask and like shut off the, the acid, which you need. And so now I have all, now I have all these other these other side effects instead of just like stopping the behavior that's causing the 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 you know the heartburn in the first place. Yeah, oh you're 100% right. I mean, so from 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 an industry standpoint and this is not just true just for pain but it's especially true for pain. Industry has informed the science. Doctors were told by the drug manufacturers that opioids were safe, that they were non-addictive. Right. And obviously that has proven to be just 100% inaccurate, right? But not only not only has has the industry and the economics of the industry and the scalability of a pharmaceutical approach been the, the overriding dominant way, and it's caused this big problem that we now face. But when we think about what happens by taking the drug, it's disrupting digestion. You know, we become people that take these drugs become constipated, so their body's not absorbing nutrition and eliminating waste like it's supposed to. So that's going to develop comorbidities because of the pain, because of the you know the drugs, whether it's an opioid or anticonvulsant drugs and Lyrica or Those drugs are impacting the chemistry of the brain and they're disrupting cognitive functions. They're disrupting sleep, and so the the natural body systems that are designed to keep us healthy and functioning all become compromised, and so. Pain sufferers, even though pain itself is typically not a terminal problem, they become very complicated because they're heavy, they're sedentary, they have cognitive disruption, which means they're withdrawing from their family, from their work, from their social, from their relationships, their sleep is compromised. And after three to five to ten years of this, these people are pretty dang messed up. And it's really, really unfortunate that they can't get their life back very easily from that. And it's all because they were given a therapy that really wasn't very effective or safe at you know, getting them um, to help resolve their pain more effectively. I think in like 30 years, we're going to look back and and think about like phones the same way we think about cigarettes and opioids. We're, we're going to be <laughs> like, man, everybody yeah, thought maybe. these phones were just were just like helping us, and now, right. like, man, remember when we used to have a you could have you could carry a phone around all the time? That was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely a lot of people that are concerned about EMFs and other radiation yeah. types of about those for sure. Like Mark. Well, well, not so much anymore, I guess. I guess like the, the more, the, like the, the longer you like don't like keep reading about something, you just kind of just like, oh yeah, I don't know anything about it, so it must not be happening. <laughs> but I think I think it's a very good point too because you know science changes. It wasn't that I was listening to Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Radio podcast not too long ago, and I've I've known I know Dave a little bit and gotten to know him, and 
obviously he's a brilliant dude and what he's built with Bulletproof is awesome. One of his guests was talking about how it wasn't that long ago in human history that we didn't understand about germs. So we didn't wash our hands right. before we ate. The doctors didn't wash their hands before they did procedures or stuck their hands in a patient's mouth one after the yeah. other. Now it's common knowledge. Like we've got to wash our hands or right. make sure that the surgery suite is sterile before we cut somebody open. Yeah. And I think this, the same is true with pain. The same is it, it, it gonna, yeah. There, there's going to be something like that in every, for every time period. Like I always think about you know, there's words that you can't say now that you could say 30 years ago. Years ago. And I'm wondering like what are the words that we're saying now that aren't going to be you know like <laughs> that our kids are going to be like I can't believe you would say that word. You know like because yeah. there's there's some there's a word there's some we just don't know what it is yet. <laughs> I can think of a couple. But yeah. Kids, right. Right. That I that I grew up saying it are certainly culturally appropriate. Right. But 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 times change, and and I think when it comes to pain, the science has changed so much. But industry has lagged behind because people doctors get paid, industry gets paid, yeah. and, and patients get things covered. And even if it's not effective or safe, they choose it in many cases because it's covered by their insurance. It doesn't cost them anything. Cost them less, right. even though yeah, it doesn't cost them anything, even though it's actually making them worse. Right. right? So right. I think there's I think there's a there's an opportunity and a responsibility that people like myself have, which is to lead with education, to lead, you know, with an opportunity to think differently. And that's why I've written this book. And the book and this conversation that we're having now and that I hope to have with many more people yeah. precedes our ability to really deliver this therapy on a greater scale, but it's soon to follow. Cool. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to like tell everybody where to find you and talk about your book and stuff. But before we do that, uh, we're going to guess your birthday. We each get two guesses. So Rick, no, I'm going to go. No, it's Rick's turn. Rick's going to go first. Okay. And you just say yes or no. You don't. You don't like say, "Ooh, that's you're in the you're in the ballpark." Just say okay. yes or no, and then when we each guess twice, you'll tell us. And um, hold on, let me pull up my uh, my what is it called, Rick? The calendar? No, what no. your your sign, astrological sign chart. What is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh, yeah, that thing. Okay. All right, you go first. April seventeenth. Uh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh my God, that was kind of a long pause. That kind of scared me. Okay, so he said April seventeenth. I don't think he's an Aries. I'm going. I don't think he's a summer guy. I'm going Aquarius. I'm going February second. Those are both pretty good guesses, but no. So I'm right in the middle. I'm actually I am an Aries. Dang it. Rick had it. March 26th. March 26th. Oh, we're both close. That is my sister-in-law's birthday. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's my sister-in-law's birthday, March 26th, and it's three months away from my birthday. So how about that? That's a lie. That's a lie. Mark is lying. You're a liar. Okay. So I'm trying to think. Yeah. Okay. So tell everybody, what's the name of your book? What's your website? All that good stuff so I can put it all in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. So the book is called Radiant Relief, A Case for a Better Solution to Chronic Pain, available on Amazon, both Kindle and paperback. And they can, uh, listeners can, if they're, if they're in pain or if they want more information about what we're doing or getting involved in some way uh, from a business standpoint, um, they can find us at radiantrelief.com. That's probably the simplest place. Where so not, not, there's one link that you, you emailed me, the radiantpainrelief.com slash R-E-G-A. Not that, just radiantrelief. Uh, yeah, I think uh, either of those are fine. Okay. Either of those are fine. Yeah, I just wanted to be a little simpler. Cool. So radiantrelief.com. Hey, Simply Human. How about that? You're, I love you're it. fitting right in here. 
Yeah, man, you guys are awesome. And, you know, pain is pain is probably one of the most human experiences that we all yes. share, right? I mean, there's not a single person that's ever lived or will live that doesn't have it. And um, I hope that anything that we've talked about today can help inform and change people's perception about their own pain experiences. Yeah, like we enter the world causing like just horrific traumatic pain. And then for boys, you you know, you get uh, your wiener chopped on a little bit. And that's... Uh, <laughs> It's a scientific term. For, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> That's no fun. Yeah. So anyway, awesome. Well, Brendan, this has been great. I really appreciate it. I'll email uh, you and Rebecca and everything when the show goes up. Should be Friday. I shoot for Friday. Sometimes it's Monday. <laughs> but uh, this has been awesome. And Roscoe P. Coltrane from... Uh... <laughs> awesome. Oh, thank you, guys. And hopefully the audio works out. If not, yeah. I'm happy to chat again. I love it. So. All right, man. I appreciate, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for all you're doing. Yeah, Hi. thanks, bro. All right, that was great. Thank you, uh, Brendan Lundberg. And yeah. uh, that was great. He's a pain guy. He knows pain. He will help you with your pain. If you just slam your fingers in the car door, call Brendan right now. <laughs> he will help you. <laughs> My fingers are in this car door. Um, we've got some guests coming up, and Rick is going to miss some softball games to be to join us. Thank you, Rick. Well, listen, it's uh, it's my pleasure, Mark. Softball is now the greatest passion in my entire <laughs> life, and I have to miss three of my uh, eight games because of this podcast. Is this so. your first ever softball team? I have not swung a bat in <laughs> 20 years, probably. One, one of our shows, I should just mic you and just hit record, <laughs> and that's the show. <laughs> <laughs> Just no, you, you like, have to keep that a thousand Yeah, just you like cussing for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, um, Catch and throw a ball, though, so that's good. Yeah, I always have like weird – I played baseball up until I was a uh, sixth grader, and then I started playing other sports, and I stopped playing baseball. But like Jen's brother played – he was a really good baseball player, played semi-pro after college and stuff, and – and I like I had these weird nightmares that I'm like on like a professional baseball team, and I'm like I'm like guys I don't know like how to catch up like a really high pop fly. Like that's I always been amazing to me. Yeah, how guys can like right off the bat see the angle and like immediately know exactly where to go. Yeah, like I or like or like a screaming line drive even you know like like what and it's coming so fast. What if it hits you in the face, Rick? I guess we'll deal with that. <laughs> so next week it may just either be me or, and you or nothing then we've got Todd Sinet then we've yes. got Dr. Friedman uh, who we ha re had to reschedule and then on the 15th of October we were recording with Lynn Marie and then I just we just had a couple more uh, email me today so it's like I said as long as they keep coming in and I don't have to see seek these people out we're going to keep it going Yes. And also, very quickly, we've talked about this on the show before. That little baby that lived with us in college, London, who's going yes. to Georgia, she won homecoming queen at, wow. at Weatherford. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Nick, you should have seen I'll, I'll sit, text you the pictures of Nick. We're like, he's the most handsome man who's ever he seen. Is, he is the most handsome and man I've ever seen. When you see these pictures of him like walking London out on the football field, he's got this like suit on. You're gonna die of death. Die of death. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's gonna do it, Rick. That's the show. 184. We're getting close to 200. So that's gonna do it for this edition of the Simply Human Podcast. And remember, I read a book once. 
So until next time, enjoy yourself.